bow your heads with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, give us ears to hear, to hear your word this day. But not only hear it and so deceive ourselves, but to do what it says. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. The word became flesh. The all-powerful, invincible, almighty God of the universe was born. Born 100% dependent in need of a mother's care. Completely dependent on a father's protection and provision. Cold, hungry, scared, fragile even. God incarnate in our flesh. Born for one reason. That God would be able to die so that Jesus could fulfill the Father's promise of a Savior and be able to bear our sin. Isaiah 53.3 says this of Jesus. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain and sorrow, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. In other words, Jesus did not have the tight-cut beard as portrayed as James Cavazell in The Passion, or maybe the warm brown eyes of Jonathan Rumi in The, uh, the Chosen. There wasn't anything special about him as far as his physical appearance is concerned. He's born very much the everyman. Ordinary, despised even, not popular. He grew up knowing what it's like to need his diaper changed, to need help getting dressed. He knows the pain of a splinter, the loneliness of sickness, the drudgery of a cold, the pain of sadness, the emptiness of loss, the death of a friend in Lazarus. The death of even a family member who dies too soon. His cousin John the Baptist being the same age as Pastor Ben. Just 32. The loss of his earthly father too, Joseph. Then of course his own horrific death. All that was endured in the crucifixion. He knows what it's like to struggle for breath, to lie helpless and worry about loved ones and what will happen to them after he's gone. He knows what it's like to have to say goodbye to people. He knows what it's like to take his final breath. As difficult as it is to think about all of that on Christmas morning, it brings me a strange comfort knowing that Jesus knows. He knows firsthand. He understands. He can relate. God only knows about your pain, but he knows your pain. He knows our pain. And that's part of the gift of Christmas, that he humbled himself enough to be born 
able to hurt, able to die. And nothing is more intimate than God becoming his creation in order to save it. In one of his Christmas sermons, Martin Luther said this of this very thing, that God came closer to save us than Satan ever did to ruin us. I like that. It speaks of that intimacy. Satan merely tempted Adam and Eve from afar. Jesus became the promised seed himself in order to save us. Just one of many realizations I've had as I've been brought to the manger again this year. I say brought because it's not come In the last months, I've felt in many ways like the paralytic man whose friends have carried him in on the mat before Jesus. Much of the month of December, I've been carried to Jesus by the hands of so many others. It definitely hasn't been of my own accord. And I'm reminded that not only has God come so near to save us, Not only does he himself know the pain and the grief that we bear, what stress and anxiety feels like, what it means to grieve and to hurt, but that in Christmas, he also gives us the gift of each other. Others that are in Christ. The Christmas story reminds me once again how God works through others to care for us, to help us endure. Luke chapter 1 that we just heard moments ago. We see this in Mary and Elizabeth. Mary's circumstances are such that you have a young teenage girl who's just been told that by the power of the Holy Spirit, she's going to be with child. For the first time ever, she's going to be away from home, away from her family, with a totally new family, with Joseph. And while Joseph's obedient to the Lord, I imagine this new family trying to keep this as quiet as possible. They're struggling too. The angel even tells Joseph, don't abandon this girl. This is of God. Gossip probably abounds. Rumors spread. And yet God cares for her through the sympathy and the shared experience of another. Here again from Luke chapter 1, verse 35 and 36. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And here's the comforting part that I didn't realize before. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. Six months before the angel Gabriel was to bring this magnificent, shocking news to Mary, God was already preparing people in her life to comfort her. He literally took a relative who was best known in the family for being without kids and granted her a child. To not only bear John the Baptist, but to be a comfort and a companion for Mary through all of this. And vice versa, too. If you think about it, Elizabeth, 
She can't even talk to her husband about this new miraculous pregnancy. I mean, she can talk to him, but he can't talk back. Zechariah was made mute by the angel when he questioned it, and he would remain so until John's birth. And so who does Mary and Elizabeth have to talk about and go through and work through these pregnancies but each other? How special it is that God provides for both of them in this way. Each a gift to the other, all rooted in Jesus. I love this reference to Elizabeth because what it does is it puts Mary into contact with someone else in the community of faith who's having an experience like she's having. It's that sense of when God works in our lives that he works in community and not not alone. It's great that Mary is willing to be this agent of God and be used in this special way, but it would be ignorant to think that it didn't cause her difficulties and was very isolating for her, that it's even going to bring shame and hardship to deal with, strain on her relationship with Joseph. All of this flows out of God working in her life, and yet God doesn't leave her alone puts her in contact with somebody who gets it. There have been so many people since my rotator cuff surgery that have come up to me and shared how they too have gone through this particular surgery. And it's one thing for somebody to say they've had a surgery, but it's a different thing when they've had the surgery, when they know firsthand those people are able to offer me a comfort that others can't. The sympathy that's packed into a a knowing look. The encouragement, the affirmation regarding the long road to recovery. The understood challenges of sleep and discomfort. The difficulties of therapy, the perseverance required. And even the hope of recovery that they, they themselves have done it, that it's possible. It's just comforting on a deeper level. There's something peacefully assuring hearing from someone who has lived it and experienced what you have. Another example is we have a wonderful, wonderful widow's ministry here at our church. And as much as I may want in my, the deepest part of my heart to console somebody having not lived through that myself or knowing that pain as intimately, I can't touch what those ladies are able to do for one another. God works in community this way. God isn't just omniscient. He's not just all-knowing. He doesn't just know about your pain. He knows your pain. And through the gift of Jesus Christ, he not only has experienced your pain, taken on your pain, but he provides you with this community of faith. An entire body of believers. Lots of Christmas presents in the people that he surrounds you with to uphold you 
in your times of need, in a different way and in different seasons. And so let us go before the babe in the manger. Let us bow our heads in a prayer of thanksgiving for the gift of each other this day. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of Jesus. And thank you for the shared gift of Jesus that we have in Christ. As we leave the manger, Lord, with such precious gifts, leading us to those you know, may we too be the gift of Jesus to whomever we shall go. Amen.